know, when we're talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes you have days where you've got your inner critic happening, sometimes you even get external people criticizing you. And so when someone just gives you a piece of nice feedback, like that is a real act of kindness. Sometimes I don't know if it's realized just what an impact that can have on a person's day. Just being told, hey, you did something great and I appreciated it. I'll be like, wow, that's like that's really filled my cup up. Thank you. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Connect with Confidence. And I'm really thrilled today to be connecting with Dr. Ellen Joan Nelson, who I connected with on LinkedIn, I think because of our friend Chancellor Lee, who I shared a podcast with recently. Um, welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Kira. It's very exciting to be here with you. So it is exciting and, um, and long awaited. I think you've been traveling, doing some exciting things mm-hmm. and speaking in some interesting places. Yes, I'm, I feel like I'm bragging, but I'm really excited. I spoke at TEDx uh, last month, which was like a massive bucket list. It was very exciting. So um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for the video to come out. That's cool. That's when we first started chatting on LinkedIn. So this is actually our first conversation. We've only been on the, you know, on the Zoom for a couple of minutes. And I went, you know what, just let's, let's hit record because, you know, I can hear your excitement. And I've just said, let's just have an honest conversation about meaningful stuff, you know, about the connections that have supported you and built your confidence ways that you might have connected with other people and built their confidence and and things that you're doing in the world that are encouraging and lifting people and you know I've been really interested to see your hashtag work school hours so I'd love you love you to share that with us so rather than me just you know reading a little bio do you want to just introduce yourself uh, yeah sure so hey Kerry I'm Ellen and yeah it was Bruce Shams and also Lindsay Freeman um was sort of the connection Yes. But basically, I served 10 years in the New Zealand Army, uh, loved it. I actually did uh, all my training on exchange in Australia. So that's how I am pretty connected uh, to the Australian side. Yeah. Uh, had a fabulous time, you know, deployed overseas, loved it. And then when I left, I did uh, a PhD just because I wanted one, Kerry. It, like, it wasn't because I was particularly passionate about a topic. I just wanted one. And I ended up doing this research about the experiences of women in the workforce, specifically their authentic leadership experiences and their well-being, uh, the case study being the New Zealand military, and unfortunately found some really recurring themes of challenging experiences. Yeah. And I was like, well, this pisses me off because I love the organization and it disappoints me that actually, you know, they weren't always doing things great to women. So I ended up advising the military for, for about 18 months kind of sharing these challenges and giving them recommendations for change. And it was kind of off the back of that, Kerry, that I was asked to speak about this journey. So kind of serving in the military, researching about it, and then advising. And that's then what led to this sort of subsequent piece of research about the experiences of working parents. Similar situation. I got a bunch of findings that I was like, well, I'm very dissatisfied with these findings. How do we change this? And that's kind of where hashtag work school hours was born. And now I've got my own business and it's very terrifying. <laughs> uh, and uh, and all the entrepreneurs listening are like, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> we have this great idea and we end up in this journey and we're like, oh, I'm stepping out of the comfort zone, like just one day after another. <laughs> yep. So and, and I guess your own personal experiences have shaped that journey also. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got two little kids. I've got, um, actually, this is exciting, Kerry, my eldest, Toby, he just started school yesterday. So like literally am now living this sort of school situation. And I've got a, our second little boy, Monty, is almost two. So 
that was kind of it as well. I was on maternity leave last year from my, you know, when I actually had a job and got paid a salary and it was really quite nice um, as a business consultant and was on maternity leave. And I was sort of like marinating on all this data that I'd collected about these really just crap experiences of being a working parent. Like not a single person had an outcome where they're like, yep, I've got this nailed. You know, I've got this whole parenting work thing sorted and it's perfect. Like nobody tells me that. And I was sort of, yeah, sitting in it thinking this is now my life. I don't really like any of these things and I want to, I want to make change. So I'm, I might fall flat on my face, Kerry, but I'm going to give it a red hot go. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And <laughs> what I'm seeing is that you're really doing this research like ahead of the time that you need it. Like you're sharing this message ahead of actually being a parent of school kids. You know, you're only just starting that yesterday. <laughs> Whereas often people who are you know, advising and creating change have have looked back and said, I don't want people to go through what I've been through. Yeah. You know, maybe 20 years ago, I was, you know, I mean, my son's now 22. Um, you know, so when I look back on those conversations, it was a very different world. You know, you're really sharing this journey with people who maybe have even been juggling the the school hours and the work hours for, you know, the last 10 years. So. It's really good to have your fresh eyes. And um, and I think the research that you've done must have been uh, pretty comprehensive. I, I imagine that the military is probably next level challenging in terms of doing as a parent than, you know, maybe working in a business that's just down the road. Uh, you know, you have layers and layers of complexity. Yeah, absolutely. So the military side is, you're right, it is next level. Um, and some of the challenges there that parents are facing are pretty despicable, to be honest, Kerry. Like some of the stuff like really made me, um, well, made me cry. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Some of the women were sharing stories where they were still breastfeeding their baby and they were made to go out field, you know, just really kind of traumatic stuff. So then, and in fact, interestingly, I'm just thinking this out loud now, but when I was studying it on the military side and, and some of the, again, the experiences are really complex. When I was then doing it, and the much larger piece was actually more the corporate sector, it just seems so simple in comparison. I'm, com- I'm like, come on, you know, corporate sector aren't facing those sorts of things. This is actually not that hard to solve. And so it almost gives me more, I don't know, conviction that this is really, it really is doable to make some really positive change uh, in yeah. most organisations. Mm. And I think it's so important just to be having the conversations and normalising the challenges that that parents are going through. I was reading a blog last night and, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who wrote it, but I, I can find it if anyone's looking for it about the complexities of parenting at the moment with juggling work and daycare, you know, the, the complexities of daycare when a lot of kids are sick and there's this hypervigilance, like if their temperature is just a smidgen up, you got to go pick them up from daycare. Then you've got kids at home when you're trying to work and they're bouncing off the walls because they're not really very sick at all. <laughs> they're just like, just doing their thing, you know. And it's, it's so heartbreaking to hear how parents are struggling because you want to be a good parent and you want to be a good team member at work. You know that the business is struggling because of all the complexities of COVID. So you want to show up well for, for the team and for your boss or maybe you are the boss and you just want to show up well. And you want to be 
the parent that your kid needs in that moment. So I think these conversations are, are really, really helpful. So what are some of the questions that, that people ask you or possibly I should ask you, what questions do you want to be asked so that people are just not seeing the need to ask? What's important for us to know? Yeah, I guess so. So this idea of work school hours is, this is where I get really excited, is I'm really convinced that it's commercially smart. So when I was um, taking my research for my PhD, which was some of the challenges women were facing, this is beyond just the parenting factor. And I was presenting it to the military, which is, of course, mainly men. And I was trying to sell them, sell them, you know, how do you make these changes? It was never about make these changes at the kind of downfall of men or at the mm -hmm. downfall of the mission. It was, if you do these things to make it better for women, actually, it's going to be good overall. Mm. And this is really kind of, I guess, almost my mantra on this work school hours idea. And my, I mean, my background is like, I'm a business consultant. I've got an MBA. I, I get the business side of the house. And I'm also, I guess, pragmatic. I know that organizations don't really give a crap about yeah. initiatives that'll make it better for mums, um, unless there's kind of a commercial outcome for it. And so this was the sort of my subsequent piece of research was actually showing that if you look at how you change the way you construct work and do more to align it with school, I'm not saying every single role can now magically overnight be nine to three. Again, that's not realistic. But if you can make as many adjustments as possible to better align those things, and if you focus more on the outputs you want your staff to do as opposed to the hours, and if you focus on flexibility, that's all the stuff that's good for the people. That's my passion. I want to make the world better for the people but there's all these commercially smart things about it um and so, so in terms of like what's the the question that I want to be asked is is really if organizations do this they'll have better retention of their staff they'll have improved staff well-being which we know is good for performance we'll have better productivity it'll be you know a massive game changer in terms of representation of women so it's not this kind of like lovely pie in the sky academic idea that's of zero use in the real world like it's actually good for business Oh, sorry, that sounded really sadly, didn't it? But I'm so passionate about this, Kerry. No, but that's a really good point. And I think people people resist change because what is it going to cost me? Or what is it going to cost the business? Yes. And it's awesome to find evidence of what happens positively for the business when you look after the people. Yeah. Because we, <laughs> I just want everyone to see your face right now. Oh. Um, like, obviously. <laughs> So what are some of the, the case studies or stories that you can tell us that you've, you know, been aware of or have been part of your research or your own experience? Yeah, sure. So, oh my gosh, I've got lots of them, but so just cut me off when you need to care. I get like, like quite fizzing about this, but there was sort of this old adage of like from really kind of, um, when I say archaic, I'm not referring to a person's age, more their kind of like frame of thinking. And so there's kind of archaic ideas of, you know, I don't pay my staff here to be happy. I pay them to do their job. And it's like, uh, you do know those two things are related. Like, you know, it's not just this happy, clappy crap. Literally, people that are happier perform better at work. It's There is a correlation there. And I heard this, sorry, Brene Brown's like, sorry, I'm sure you know, I just think she's wonderful. Um, she's probably mentioned on like at least every second podcast, either yeah. by me or my guests. Absolutely. So bring it on. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, obviously, Carrie will know this one. So anyway, Brene Brown quoted, she actually quoted someone else. I can't remember who the other person is. I just remember that she said it. And it's that there's all this neuroscience research to show that people are inherently feelings-based creatures who sometimes do some thinking, not the other way around. So 
if we can understand that people actually they're feelings based and if you can make them feel happy they'll do better work for you um I guess that's sort of my first thing but then some of the stories and it's quite interesting um I've had I've had I mean of course I get pushback right I put this idea out there oh my gosh so on the weekend uh, sorry last weekend I wrote um like an article for one of New Zealand's biggest newspapers and got a lot of hate mail from it people were like you know suggesting that my idea was to I don't know go kill babies or something which it wasn't you know oh, you know, you're just an academic, what the hell do you know? Um, mm. Really kind of sort of angry and aggressive about it. But one of the things I find interesting is that the managers that I've spoken to who are implementing some of this kind of stuff, the first step is talking to your staff. So literally, like, if you're a manager and you're thinking, well, how the hell would I implement something like work school hours? You know, I've got KPIs to meet, I've got to achieve outputs, otherwise my neck's on the line is when they talk to their staff, and I've got countless examples, you know, not just office workers, I've got construction managers, factory managers, um, people in the primary industries, you know, so it's not just your office workers. And if they bring their staff in and say, hey, team, you know, we're looking to find ways to create more personal time for all of you, you know, whether that's for children or whether it's for something else, but we still need to achieve the same outputs, how do you reckon we can do that? And in every case, the manager is like quite blown away at the kind of creativity that staff come up with when they are sort of sufficiently motivated by an early knockoff. But they're literally kind of magical productivity games, just games, just ready to be taken. Oh, that's cool. I thought you said games and I'm like, oh, this sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) The creativity, the games. Oh, and games. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, and it's important to realise, you know, when you write an article that you put so much thought into, somebody glances at one paragraph and reacts and they're gone. They just haven't, they haven't taken in the whole thing and they're not open to anymore because they've seen one paragraph that triggered something else that has got nothing to do with you. Um, so, yeah, I was delighted to see that you'd shared that on LinkedIn, the, um, the article that you'd written. And, and you've written for uh, Propel Her. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about that. I'm sure um, you got lots of feedback on that too. Yeah, actually much nicer feedback on that one. <laughs> a supportive um, readership. Yes. It's, um, I mean, and again, that because it's, of course, Lindsay Freeman and Shanza Lee, which is sort of our connection. So published that with Propel Her and got, yeah, really positive feedback. And it's not that everyone's like, yeah, Ellen, gosh, you're great. We're ready to sign up to this tomorrow. You know, I haven't quite got that, but they can see the ideas. and. Kind of one of the biggest one that really gets me, and it was my own experience when I was um, working uh, in my consulting role as well, is around this idea of swapping this idea of you get paid for the hours you work, changing that to you get paid for the outputs that you deliver. And it's such a kind of like a fundamental mindset change. But once you've made it, it's like, I can't go back, right? Like I literally am like, why do you care how many hours it takes me to do something? Don't you want me to just, this piece of work and pay me for that and so the kind of propel her readers could see some of those things that instead of focusing so much on did they stay at work till five o'clock or whatever time knockoff is we focus more on did they did they get their shit done and that should be the focus yeah yeah and I guess well it takes some creativity and some time and conversation to work out what that looks like in different organizations and you know, some jobs are not as tangible in their outcomes, you know, and I was talking to uh, some police about this just the other day 
when you're preventing crime, you're preventing things like you can see some statistics, but then you don't actually know when you've made a positive difference in so many ways. So, you know, my latest book, How to Talk to Strangers to Decrease Anxiety, Build Confidence and Make a Bigger Difference in the World, it was really challenging for my contributing writers to share some of their stories because we think, well, I hope I made a difference there. But it's when we're on the receiving end of something positive that we can say that really made a difference. But the ripple effect that you're creating is behind you. So you don't see it. (laughs) And a lot of jobs are like that when they are you know, people helping roles. You don't know the impact or the significance of some act of generosity, some care, some support that you've put in place. And so, yeah, it can be really tricky to look at what is my output and what is the value of that? How do we, how do we work out those things? Have you had those kind of questions put to you? Yeah. And um, I guess I've kind of got two points. There's one personal and one's more on the organizational. So on the organizational one of like the examples I kind of use is that when a manager thinks, right, I need to hire a new staff member because, um, you know, the current activities that need to be achieved, we can't do all that with the current staff that we had. So we're going to need to hire someone new. At that point, I actually think the manager does have a really clear idea on what it is that they need that person to do. Like they're literally hiring them for a reason. It's because, right, I need task X, Y, and Z done. And I can't do it with our current staffing. And so at that point, I think it's actually really clear what is it that you want that staff member to deliver. Uh, It then just very quickly gets forgotten about and they get paid and remunerated and rewarded and promoted based on did they do those hours at their desk for that time. So that's kind of the first one. In terms of um, how how do you measure if you're delivering an impact? And I think the police one you said is really interesting. So on the personal side, Kerry, like I don't know how to measure my impact, right? So I'm trying to create this business as a speaker and as a consultant, and I'm ambitiously trying to change the world Um, (laughs) with this work school hours thing. And I don't don't have a mechanism in place to measure if that's been successful, right? Because people often say, well, you know, how how or when, Alan, will you know that this has had an impact? And I was like, shit, I haven't really figured that out yet. I don't know. Um, So I don't have a good answer for that. But what I find a little bit interesting is that, yeah, I mean, I get some negative feedback and that's a bit miserable and depressing, especially when you're doing this by yourself. It's quite lonely. But sometimes you get a nice piece of feedback from, you know, I had um, a mum recently who's about to return from parental leave. And she was like, Ellen, you've made me feel more confident to now ask for the conditions that I need when I go back to work. And I was like, oh, well, that's, I don't quite know how to measure this but that feels like a tangible piece of impact. And, yes, and maybe yes. if I like collect enough of those, I'll feel like I've done something. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty waffly answer. I do realize that no, I, I'm still learning this one myself. I think it's really important to have that, that email folder or the uh, folder on your phone, you know, of the text messages that you get, of the positive feedback that you get. Because, you know, you don't know. And I, I walked out of an event recently that I spoke at and I knew the things that I could have said or that I could have pieced together more effectively. So I've got my professional speaking hat on and, you know, I've got a bit of a crowd of some of my global professional speaker mentors in my head going, Mm -hmm. you missed this opportunity. You didn't do this. And so to share with my husband, you know, there was a lot of beautiful Indian women holding my hand and thanking me and not letting go of my hand. (laughs) And then hugging me and then coming back for another hug and then you know text messages that just have little words like 
um, you know, people like you with a beautiful heart. Uh, and you go, okay, you know what? They didn't know about the conversation in my head of all the things that I could have done differently. Mm-hmm. They just appreciated that I showed up honestly and encouragingly for them. And uh, so we do need to remind ourselves and I think remind each other. So, you know, sometimes I remember when I was a new coach, so this is back probably 2005, I was on my way to meet a client who I felt a little daunted by, you know, he's so much more professional than me. This is the conversation in my head, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the same age, but you know, he probably seemed a little bit older, more professional, more educated, more eloquent, all of these things. And I called one of my colleagues and I said, can you just remind me that I'm a good coach? <laughs> and she's like, you know, and I was just like hoping for that, you know, good as in ordinary. Um, but she was like, oh, Kerry, you're this, this. And she gave me really specific feedback and things that she'd noticed about the way that I would show up absolutely present and supportive of the client and just specific things that I can't remember now. But what I remember was that I was so glad I made that phone call because she just helped me get my head right and go, it's actually not about me. <laughs> I'm just going to show up for him. It's about him. And, uh, and he hired me to work with him for the next three to six months. So it was, um, yeah, just important to shift my thinking. And sometimes we need our friends and colleagues to help us to do that. If um, if we forget to look in our own little file of text messages. <laughs> yes. And we sometimes, um, and again, like sometimes I don't always take my own medicine, right? Yes. Yeah. So I and we're all, I think we're all guilty of, I hope I'm not the only person that does that, but you know, I'm such a terrible, I think we all are like terrible critics to ourselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might get 27 compliments and one piece of negative feedback. What do you think I spend my time and energy thinking about yes. one thing, which yes. I know is stupid. Yes. Um, and in fact, again, to quote Renee Brown, gosh, I love her. She mm-hmm. talked about the fact that once that you get a lot of negative feedback, especially when you're, you know, you've been a bit brave and putting your thoughts out to the world, yeah. you, you get a barrage of negative feedback and it's quite crushing. Um, but she just talked about putting more intention around whose feedback she was going to listen to and who she wasn't. Yes. So easier to say than do, but that's what I'm trying really hard to do is this, yeah, there was some, again, there were actually a lot of positive comments after this newspaper article, but of course, you know, I just forget those and focus on the negative ones. But they were, you know, I'm just trying to not be snobby, but think, you know what, that person clearly hasn't read everything I've said, like you mentioned before, Kerry. and. Yeah you know, they clearly haven't got the full picture here. And, you know, I don't actually need to take on board that particular person's feedback who writes mm-hmm. something nasty about me behind a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if someone wants to give me some criticism and they do it in a, a kind way and a kind of intelligent, uh, re- reasonable, logical way, then I'll take that one on board. But mm-hmm. perhaps that kind of nasty comment with not a lot of thought behind it, I can try to ignore. Yeah, I think it's, it can be helpful to to realise that they're speaking from their place of pain or frustration mm. and it really has got nothing to do with you. I just want to go back because when you were saying that, you know, you get all this positive feedback and one negative piece and you focus on that and it's stupid and I went, yeah, and I'm like, I just want to go, no, 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 I'm not saying, yeah, it's stupid, <laughs> which is what I said. I could have got Lyndon to cut it out. But um, but what I what I was agreeing with you there was like, Yet we we tend, it's normal. It's so normal that we focus on the negative thing because that's how our brain is wired. So it's wired to look after us, to protect us. And so we see a danger and we're like, oh my gosh, that's that's a danger. Um, and so it's very easy to let go of those things that are 
safe and nice and supportive because we don't need to do anything about it. But we actually do need to do something about it. We need to take it on board as learning. And when I realized this, that feedback, like positive feedback, it's not just a nice feeling, but you can learn from that. You can hear what someone has said and go, ah, interesting. Okay, so I wanted to be supportive, encouraging, insightful, whatever. And when they've said, that was really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. If they give their thanks specifically, then you're learning what's working. So it's very valuable, but our brain doesn't go, um, take notice of that. That's valuable. <laughs> we need to consciously do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, that was a valuable insight for me. I was in front of a room of coaches leading a coach training. I was actually the assistant trainer, but the lead trainer was called out um, yeah, with one of the participants struggling with something. And so I ended up running the rest of the afternoon. And so at the end of the day, we always go around the, the tables and, you know, people just share an insight or something that helps them to feel complete on the day. You know, like they've said their, their one little piece to the room about like mm-hmm. something they learned or they might acknowledge someone else in the room for helping them learn something. And one of, uh, one of the coaches in the room she was a lead trainer herself but in that course she was a participant and later at the bar she said to me you know I was watching how people were acknowledging you at the end of the session and she said it's very interesting because there's two main ways that people take on feedback you know like positive feedback like oh you're amazing thank you so much for this this people can be like in the arrogant space of like oh yeah yep got it yep I'm good (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm nowhere near that. I'm just like, really? Um, But she said the other thing is that you can dismiss it, kind of flick it off, like, oh, no, no, I didn't really. And she said, but you were curious and you were learning from what they were saying. And I went, yeah, I guess I was. And then I felt kind of exposed. It was kind of like she's standing backstage watching me, you know, while everyone else is just having a conversation. But it was such a valuable insight because I realized, yes, there is rich learning in hearing what you're doing well because we don't see it we see what we didn't do well so I hope that's useful yeah um, yes. yeah and and to those listening too because I know that uh you know we all really struggle with that inner critic or you know in our mental fitness coaching we call it the judge um we have this inner judge just going should have done it like this uh you know we, we know it. we've all got our own inner judge yeah. and um and it is different for everybody but we we relate to that yeah 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 so tell me what you're looking forward to now here it is um nearly august what's the rest of the year look like for you uh so i'm actually pretty excited so on the the business side which again is god it's scary um tell you what else is scary is so i'm not just selling a product or a service i'm selling me yeah and to be totally honest, like I'm not someone who shies away from the spotlight. I love being on stage and I, I don't mind being the center of attention. So, you know, if anyone heard me say that that was not the case, I'd be like, Ellen, bullshit. We know you love being on stage, <laughs> but it's a whole different thing. So it's quite nice when someone else puts the spotlight on you, but to try and be selling yourself is, is really terrifying because then when people like reject your services, it feels like a personal rejection because it's, it's me that I'm trying to sell. Yeah. But so, but on that side, I'm actually starting to get a bit of uptake, which is really exciting. And I'm speaking at a couple of Australian conferences uh, in September. Uh, this is oh. actually, 
um, which is really exciting. And a couple in New Zealand. And I'm starting to get kind of booked more to do leadership training and to speak about some of these ideas I have around how we can make the working world better. And so, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited. I've got, yeah, quite a few bookings between now and the end of the year uh, and hoping that that kind of continues that I just, yeah, keep doing more of this work and hopefully some people will like But I, I love your excitement and, and I do want to know if you come to Australia. <laughs> Yes. You're speaking in Australian conferences. I'm like, woohoo, let's do coffee. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of virtual conferences on right now. Oh, which brings to mind Anna Maria Lang, who I also connected with because of Shansa's International Women's Day post about me. Uh, thanks, mm-hmm. Shansa. Um, she has you speaking at her conference that she's doing. Yes. Yeah, okay. that's one of the one of the ones in Australia. So I'm very excited. I am, um, yeah, connected with Anna Maria. Oh, I was earlier this year again via LinkedIn. LinkedIn's great, by the way. It's um, yes. yeah. So I'm very excited. She's doing some amazing stuff. So yeah, I'm very excited to be speaking at her conference as well. Yeah, and quite a number of women veterans who are speaking. And um, yeah, and she did ask me, but I was just not ready to say yes to a virtual conference. <laughs> I've just been having. That's another whole story. But I've been having. I, I snuck into my profiles online and took off the words international speaker <laughs> um for since I'm telling you now I just might as well tell everybody um so I've, so I've been um I shared on the podcast you know this is my year of meaningful conversations even though I've been doing that for the last 20 years but uh, but probably sharing more in in one-on-one conversations and writing a lot more and working through some of my stories and at the beginning of the year, when I saw my um, Asia professional speakers community sort of ramping up, getting bookings, speaking around the world, you know, a bit more travel, I felt this like, oh, yes, we can get back into it. But I also felt like that's not for me right now. I need to be having, I need to take this step back and just focus on the one-on-one coaching conversations. And I've been doing some incredible um walk and talk sessions with some leaders just like along the coastline or around the zoo we have an amazing zoo here in Dubbo um doing one-on-one leadership retreats which is giving people a really safe space to think through challenges and aspirations because you know that sometimes those goals are like really scary they're vulnerable when they're new who do you share your big ideas with you've got to be safe for that too um so it's helping people to unpack their stories and their possibilities more but also unpacking my own story and elements of my own story that I haven't really unpacked in a way that I can share that is useful for other people to to heal you know we live in a very different time now um so Danny Sullivan mentioned in his podcast conversation you know the speak up culture that we didn't have back then and I was thinking and there's so many places where we still don't have that you know we we don't speak up or we don't feel safe to speak up. And I think the more that people do, and, you know, it's like the work that you're doing too, it's really important because it gives people an opportunity to say, this isn't working for me or what I would like to do, like the way that I can contribute best is like this. So it helps people to tap into their own personal story more. So I just knew I needed to do the personal work and, um, and share elements of my story that might be, you know, personal and challenging to share but valuable um you know it's valuable for me to share because then I'm letting go of you know the shame of not letting not 
being able to articulate, you know, things that I've been challenged by, things that I've gone through, but it helps other people also to to see things for what they are, you know, to see a toxic work culture for what it is and say, I don't have to stay in this in this working relationship or I, I don't have to put up with this kind of abuse. But we didn't have language for those things 20 years ago. So, you know, as we move forward, we, um, you know, we grow together as we share our stories and as we, you know, share the journey and, and grapple with those awkward questions. So anyway, this wasn't going to become about me, but um, <laughs> I could see no, you no. nodding. And <laughs> I um, was going to, sh- um, if you're interested to share something. So when I did this, um, this PhD journey, right? So when I was in the army, I loved it. Honestly, Kerry, I really did. And I was one of those, oh, almost a bit of a dick sometimes. Like I was so determined to prove that as a woman, I'm just as tough as the rest of the guys. Um, and I was quite, like, I was genuinely quite proud of that. Like I was, you know, I was physically pretty robust. Um, you know, I would always carry the same weight as the guys. I'd always do the same number of press-ups and and almost in like a bit of a meathead kind of a way about it. Like I just really wanted to prove that I was tough. And when anyone outside of the military would ask me like, oh, what's it like being a woman in the military? It would kind of irritate me because I was yeah. like, well, it's just the same. Like don't think it's any different. And when I did my PhD journey, and as I said, I started it literally. I wanted the qualification. It wasn't because I was trying to solve some challenge for women in the military because I didn't even allow myself to acknowledge that there was one. Then when I started interviewing these women who you know had done the same role as me, so we all had very similar um, backgrounds, you know, and I asked them really open questions, Kerry. So I wasn't trying to find like the dirt or find the crappy stuff. I was just like, you know, tell me about your leadership experiences. Tell me about your... Um, challenging experiences tell me about your positive experiences and it was just really open and then I gathered all this data and it forced me because a lot of the women opened up right and so they shared some pretty dark things and what I found really interesting and confronting but in a in a healthy way is it made me realize that not everything for me had been as rosy as I had thought it was and it doesn't destroy my military memories you know it doesn't like that's I hold that really dear. I had an amazing experience, but I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That happened to me too. And actually, yeah, I did experience sexual harm. And why did I think that was okay? And Mm. it was when women shared their stories, when you kind of then see it, you can't unsee it. So what I just thought was like, well, that's just part of being in the military. Like you're just going to have that stuff happen and didn't even acknowledge that it was a thing. I now, like through having these, I mean, they were interviews, but kind of conversations, I suppose, with other women, it made me then realize some of my own experiences and that, yeah, why did I think that that was okay to be touched like that? Or why did I think it was okay to have that said to me? And now, interesting, circling back to what you said to me at the start. So work school hours is the thing that I'm trying to address. And you're right, I've only literally just yesterday started being a working Uh, like a school-age parent but some of these other things from the military I am like I experienced that and I don't want the future woman to and that's yeah that is a big part of my driver is that a I want to make the rest of my own working life as good as it can be but I also want to make sure that anyone who comes after me as much of the negative stuff as possible can be taken away so they don't need to experience it Mm. yeah I don't know if that's 
Amazing, amazing. Thank you. Because as you as soon as you started sharing, I realized that my vulnerability in sharing led you to that. And I made the choice to go there, even though I was like, oh, I've got some safe questions that we can just like, you know, finish the podcast, you know, nice and light. But I think this really matters that that we share this because you've just deepened my insight and I'm sure others who are listening. And I realized that we relate to Brene Brown in this instance, where she talked about her, her research led her to that breakdown where she realized, oh, I'm not living a wholehearted life when she was interviewing people about, you know, interviewing the wholehearted. And so our work, um, our work cleanses us and heals us and restores us in ways that we didn't need, that we didn't know that we needed restoring. Um, so yeah, yay to all of those listening and us for doing the, the personal work, because I think it is of service to ourselves and others. And we can't just be of service to the world if we're not allowing the work to, to support us also. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. I, and my views have changed on this so much. Like I'm now so all these like feelings-based things that from the military point of view, I used to try really hard to separate myself from that because mm. I thought, well, that's professional that you keep your feelings separate at work and you don't go too deep. You just, you know, you do your task. Whereas now the more I like, like almost self-indulge into my own feelings, I feel like it unleashes more power. So like one example, and by the way, you're so right. When you opened up to me, it made me want to open up more. But um, a, a recent uh, task that I've been involved in, this is a volunteer, myself and a few others, we've been helping getting people out of Afghanistan. So these yeah. are people that have worked with the New Zealand Defence Force and because of that, they're at risk from the Taliban. Without going into all the details, it's been um, a horrifically challenging task. Like I, I've never been challenged more in my life with something so difficult. And one of the things that I found is that it was really, it's been an emotionally challenging task, right? Like feeling responsible for the lives of these people was, was just horrible. But with my team, I was able to like let that emotion out. And had I not been able to, and had I felt like, well, if I do that, that's unprofessional and like they won't respect me anymore. There is no way that I also would have brought like my A game. And so I actually, in fact, it's a, I think Propeller who might be publishing it today, actually, I wrote a bit of an article about lessons learned from the Afghanistan evacuation. And one of them is about when you can be really vulnerable with your team, which includes sharing the stuff that you don't necessarily love about yourself or some of the, um, the, the tricky bits, that unlocks your ability to bring the best of yourself. And I was sort of sharing this reflection with the team and I was saying to the guys, I was like, had I not been able to cry in front of you all and vent and swear and say all these things that was causing me to feel ashamed and vulnerable and all that, there's no way that I would have also been able to do all these things which actually were pretty great and we wouldn't have had success if I hadn't been able to do that. So mm. it's this, yeah, the more I get into it, the more I'm like, the more you can open up and be vulnerable, the better you can become. Oh, yes. does that even make sense? I... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think the reason that you said, does it make any sense that I said, does it make sense when I shared, is because we just feel like well, maybe I've just shared too much. Or maybe, you know. But yeah. to those listening, it's like, 
Ah, thank you. Breath of fresh air and it's sparking other insights. Um, So my friends, if you're listening and getting insights for yourself, please write them down. Just pull over (laughs) or um, make a note in your phone if you're out jogging. Uh, I know you're listening in so many different places. And yeah, it's, um, it's so important that we capture our own insights and be honest with ourselves because we can't really show up in the world honest with others if we're not honest with ourselves. And when you were sharing, Ellen, about, um, you know, your experiences as a veteran, I'm thinking like my dad was a veteran, my son's a veteran, um, my grandparents, both my my mum's dad served in World War II, Papua New Guinea and Borneo, and my dad's mum served in the Air Force in Townsville. And they all, like all four of my grandparents lived to their late 90s. And so we had so many rich conversations with them. I think they tend to have more conversations with their grandkids and great grandkids. You know, so my son was really blessed with conversations. You know, sometimes I would ask them questions to just, well, my grandma to distract her from pain. And so I would say, ask her about Townsville. And, you know, she just shared some incredible insights. And I realized that I think it's the, well, it's the English heritage and it's the, uh, the veteran um, legacy, I guess, the stoicism. You know, I've, I've said I come from a long line of stoics. And so we, we dismiss pain and, and trauma that we've gone through because, you know, maybe we can minimise it by knowing that somebody else's trauma is worse. And so we just go, oh, I haven't been through anything like they have. And, um, yeah, but it is useful for us to, to integrate all of those stories into our life rather than just park them in a box somewhere in the past. But it, it takes time, I think, and, and a lot of safe conversations to work through. How do we do that? And how do I, how do I see things and how do I minimise trauma? Because I don't notice until somebody else says, woo, that was like really a challenging thing. You know, and uh, and that happened on my podcast recently, and I'm like, hmm, am I going to share this? <laughs> but I'm I'm hitting publish today on that one. Good. So yeah, so thank you. I really appreciate your sharing, and um, yeah, just sharing the journey. Literally, even though we've just met, I, I know that. Well, I've just loved your excitement, but also your honesty and just showing up with your experiences and your insights around that. And I know that you know when we finish this call, we'll probably both go away and go. Oh, I could have shared this and I could have shared that, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, that. Maybe make a note of it and uh, and share it in a in a post when we launch the podcast. Um, you know, feel free to just give me a buzz later this afternoon and just go. Oh my gosh, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> so before I just ask you a couple of like fun questions to to wrap up, what 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 are you sitting with right now? Um, what is it that you want to share? I guess. Well, obviously, I want to share that I think this idea of work full hours is the way of the future with work I think that you know this kind of archaic idea of we work for a set amount of hours which fundamentally do not align with the hours of children being at school just feels so freaking bonkers to me so that's like I'm kind of sitting with that and I think the other thing which is I don't know this isn't all tying together perfectly yet but I just am starting to think just how much feelings the heart has to do with so much of what we do, what drives us when we're performing well, when we're performing poorly. And the more we can get in touch with our 
feelings. Gosh, I sound so sloppy. I never would have said this in the military, but I really believe it. Like, yeah, the more we can get into our feelings, I think the better thinking we can do to add more value. So that's my closing thought feeling. Absolutely. I love it. And, you know, while you say you wouldn't have said this in the military, but I think you could now. I, I just was sitting with um, a senior male in the army who really shared um, thoughts and feelings and a lot of feelings and just a beautiful, authentic conversation. And, oh, I found that so refreshing because, yeah, I want to, you know, step into the, the, the stoic um, cognitive space, so the, the coach training that I did. So realizing that my coach training and connecting with the the neuro leaders, the neuroscientists, you know, through the development of the Neuro Leadership Institute, I was part of that journey. And and I love hearing the neuroscientists, you know, from Harvard, UCLA, they're talking about the neuroscience of decision making and insight. And and so we did talk about, you know, the amygdala, the emotional responses, but it was still a very cognitive conversation you know it's like this is the brain activity this is how we can set ourselves or others up for insight and so I'm in this insight insight space not you know the work of Brene Brown has really matched up with that but from the the feeling space and so her latest book the atlas of the heart oh that is going to be featured in an upcoming podcast with one of my colleagues who is working through her book two emotions a week that's going to take him a whole year Um, But he's really doing a deep dive on two of the emotions and experiences that are in her book, Atlas of the Heart, and working through that each week for the next year. And I just went, let's do a podcast about that. That's amazing. It'd be amazing to hear his insights. Okay, so thank you for all you've shared. And when you just reflected again on work school hours, I just thought, have I given you enough airtime for that? (laughs) We've talked about a lot of things. But we'll put some links in the podcast so people can go find more. That'd be, no, this has been, I kind of love it, Kerry. It's reflective of your book title, How to Have Conversations with Strangers. Like, I love this. There was no real agenda. We've just, and we've never met until today, and we've gone deep. Like, yeah. so you. You've really facilitated <laughs> that. It's been enjoyable. Oh, thank you. So just a couple of quick questions to wrap up. Um, so I'd love to hear about a story of the kindness of strangers in your world, whether you had the opportunity to do something or somebody surprised you with an act of kindness. So I'll give you a moment for that. Oh, um, yeah, I think, I mean, well, I think I've done some acts of kindness in the world and um, I think sort of the Afghan evacuation hopefully would be considered that. But yeah, the on the receiving end, it's often, um, and it comes back, you said something at the start about the power of belief. And I've got a friend who was part of my Afghan team um, and he talks a lot about the power of belief and I really believe in that and how much of a positive impact it can have. So, you know, when we're talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes you have days where you've got your inner critic happening, sometimes you even get external people criticizing you. And so when someone just gives you a piece of nice feedback, like that is a real act of kindness. <laughs> sometimes I don't know if it's realized just what an impact that can have on a person's day. Just being told, hey, you did something great and I appreciated it. I'll be like, wow, that's, like that's really filled my cup up. Thank you. That's yeah. So I'd say that's an experience of receiving an act of kindness. Yes, I love that because that's something that I really wanted to convey through the book that it matters that you share your 
gratitude. It matters that you acknowledge people, that you notice people, that you notice the efforts they make. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, it's not just the big things and it's not just the expensive things like filling up someone's car full of petrol, which is very expensive at the moment, you know, or paying for someone's groceries because they suddenly realise that their card's not working for their 100 bucks. Um, so thank you. And favourite book. What's a favourite book? Oh, but I loved Killer Mockingbird. That's um, yeah, one of my favourites from from childhood. So yeah, that's probably that's probably up there. Wow. Well, I never read that until Ethan was doing it at school, and then we went through it. So <laughs> that's cool. Thank you. And what have you enjoyed lately? Oh, um, enjoy having meaningful connections with people. I love um, like this, Kerry. I this, and I've had you know others with other people in the last few months. I just I love having meaningful connections meaningful conversations with people that's more than just <laughs> I say the weather I know we did it you should talk about the weather at the start but I love yeah going deep so that's um that's something I've really enjoyed yeah <laughs> thank you so much I have really enjoyed this conversation with you and I know that our listeners will too and uh yeah we will share your links in the the show notes and yeah I hope that people will send you a message and say Thank you. I heard you on Connected Confidence podcast. You connected really well. <laughs> and uh, you are making a beautiful difference in the world. Okay. Kerry, thank you very, very much. I've, um, yeah, genuinely, I've loved this. And yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's lovely. Thank you, Ellen, for just jumping into this conversation with a stranger that you met on the internet. <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. 